0: behind the brand features the people who are making things happen get the insight to grow your biz from experts who've done it get behind the brand this episode is brought to you by veridesk veridesk makes office furniture simple seriously everyone probably knows their height adjustable stand-up desk i use it every day in my video production business it was really the first step to create a happier healthier me I was sitting all the time, losing circulation, and standing up just feels a lot healthier. Today, Veridesk has a full line of furniture and accessories for the office or the classroom, and they make it easy to order, assemble, and change around as you need it. You really got to check them out. Just go to veridesk.com forward slash behind the brand and take a look.
1: I'm Dr. Phil, and you're watching Behind the Brand.
0: Hi, I'm Brian Elliott. Welcome to another edition of Behind the Brand. Today I'm here live on Dr. Phil's set with Dr. Phil. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. I usually ask my guests, how'd you get this job?
1: (laughs) Well, I got this job by um, being, I guess, um, pretty uh, involved in the litigation arena. I did not plan ever uh, to be involved in television. And I, I guess really who does? Is there ever a kid... Sitting in a sandbox somewhere, saying, "I want to grow up and do a talk show someday." I mean, maybe there is in this day and time, where we're kind of a more a media-aware generation. But it certainly wasn't in my game plan growing up. Uh, but I was in um, uh, the litigation arena, and uh, we represented a lot of media companies and. Uh, Among those was Oprah and Harpo Productions, and I worked with Oprah for a couple of years uh, leading up to uh, a trial that took place in Amarillo, Texas, known as the Mad Cow Case, where she was sued by the cattle growers. And um, she kind of had a philosophy. She said, I've got a commitment to my viewers that anything I find whatever it might be a a book a a person a product or whatever that i think has really had a profound effect on me i share with my viewers and she said you really fall into that category and i want to share you with my viewers so i want you to be um on my television show
0: Yeah, I think there's a term for that. I think it's called the Oprah effect.
1: Yeah, there's definitely the O factor. There's no doubt about it.
0: Yeah. So do you credit her with kind of giving you a big break transitioning from your professional career to TV or?
1: No, um, I wouldn't say that she kind of gave me a big break. I would say she invented Dr. Phil. I mean, because there was no, I had no vision of being on television. I had no uh, aspirations of being on television. Uh, this was totally her vision, her creation, her idea, and her launch. Did she have to convince you this was a good idea, or did you see it? Well, yes, she did have to convince me. She called, their producers called after the trial and said, you know, we want you to come do a show. And I said, "Nah, not really. Um, I, I think I'll pass. But I can give you the name of some people I think are really good, and then pretty soon... She called back and said, "You don't say no when Oprah mm-hmm. called. We were really good friends by that time. Yeah, and I said, "I'm going scuba diving. I can't do it." She said, "We'll wait till you get back, okay?" Okay. And um, so I got back and um, went to do a show, and uh, it just really turned out to make a lot of noise, get a lot of attention, um, because I think it was a different a, a different voice. I I kind of don't sugarcoat things. And yeah. I think that was a really a different thing, at least for that day and time. Yeah, give us some context. Like, what year was this? Where are we talking Oh, about? gosh, I think I, we started here in 2002, and I was on there for five years, so late 90s, yeah. Okay, so
0: Internet's just a baby. YouTube hasn't launched yet. Right. We're talking about traditional TV. Right. Uh, let's flash forward until now, and it's, let's kind of do a little bit of um, retrospect, thinking... Uh, reflecting back on on sort of where you've been and where you are now, you've got a lot of stuff going on. You're a best-selling author. You've got your hands in technology. You've got an app and different things. You've got new shows in Mm -hmm. development. I want to know, you know, a lot of people watch this show. They're entrepreneurs. They're creators. A lot of people on YouTube, in fact. And and that's been a platform that's just exploded. Uh, And Facebook is not far behind with becoming a very viable platform for everyone. It's leveled the playing field and done a lot. Talk to me about how you're building audiences. And more specifically, I want to know, you know, what are you doing differently from sort of medium to medium, right? So books are different than TV, they're different than technology. Talk about that a little bit. Well,
1: you know, I think the, I think the main thing for me and for us um, is really paying attention to your audience. Um, we, we have to really pay attention to our audience in terms of content, in what they're interested in, focusing on, and also in the way they're getting their information. Uh, how are you paying attention? Well, we we don't stop cars out on Sunset and Melrose uh, and say, hey, I think you need some help, come in here. Mm-hmm. We help people that write to us, and we get tens of th- You just can't imagine. we, yeah. I mean, we get so many emails and, and yeah. letters.
0: Well, and you're eliciting. you're And, <clears throat> you're and we people. pay
1: attention to yeah. what people are writing us about, what they're interested in. And and based on what categories people are focused on, whether it's depression, alcoholism, parenting, entrepreneurship, um, their own self-worth, just the different things that are their topics, what's on their priority list, Then that informs what we do, content-wise. And then you have to pay attention to how they're getting their information. I mean, are they, you know, 10 years ago, people were totally willing to do what we call a lean-back experience, where they would just lean back and passively take whatever you were serving up for an hour. But now, you have people that are much more of a lean-in experience where they're wanting to interact with the content. They're wanting to pick and choose what they focus on. They want a snippet here. They want a piece of information here. They want to cherry pick what's relevant to them at that particular point in time. And if you want to be successful, you've got to change with the times. You've got to meet people where they are instead of expecting them to meet you where you are. That's the big key. How
0: have you done that then? Um,
1: Well, I think we pay attention and then say, all right, What can we do to deliver what we have to deliver in a more efficient and impactful way? And those are two different things, efficient and impactful. Um, For example, with Doctor On Demand, we know that health care cost is through the roof. We know that uh, we're in a a 78% double income society right now. So people don't have time to go to the doctor. They don't have time to take their children to the doctor. Uh, and we've seen, uh, we've become a head-down society because everybody's looking at their smartphones, right? right? Uh, when was the last time you went to the library and looked something up? Yeah, Th- It doesn't happen anymore. You can Google it, you can g- you go to a search engine, you can find it. So uh, you don't see a lot of buggy whips around anymore because you don't see a lot of horse and buggies around anymore, so that becomes obsolete and new technology takes over. And when you see it happening in one area, you can predict that it's going to happen in another so with Doctor on Demand, for example, we said, okay, can we deliver this medical service in a quality and effective way and eliminate an average of 21-day waiting period? Uh, can we eliminate them having to take a half day off work to go sit in a crowded waiting room where if they're not sick, they will be after they sit in a room full of sick people? Yeah. Um, and can we get rid of those things? And come up with a technology that fits what they're using, and now they can be face-to-face on their smartphone, iPad, or desktop with a board-certified physician in an average wait time of about two and a half minutes. They can write prescriptions. They can be the referral s- source for a, yeah. uh, a specialist. So was it, is it more efficient? Yes. Is it impactful? Yes, because it saves time. and. Uh, so, next thing we know, we've got 45 million lives uh, enrolled here, and we're, a lot of our employers are paying for it 100% because they're saying, my gosh, you're saving me all this lost time. Yeah. So, it's it's a disruptive force yeah. in medicine. So, that's what I mean when I say we're looking for better ways to do what people are already doing.
0: I think what you said was maybe subtle, and I just want to underscore the brilliance behind that. I mean it sounds like everything and nothing has changed at the same time. It's really back to small-town, you know, personal experience, except technology, what you, how you're leveraging technology is you're making it scale, right? You're 45 million people. Uh, that's a whole lot bigger than a small little town, but you're still giving them that personal experience. And so, you know, people who've got companies, you know, they can look at what you're doing as a model and I think uh, learn a ton.
1: Yeah, it's probably become the biggest medical practice in America, probably yeah. in the history of America. That's pretty cool. And uh, and and you know, eighty-seven percent of what people present themselves in the hospital for doesn't result in hospitalization. So it means it can be handled in this fashion. So um, if you know, if you just look at what people are struggling with, and and you put yourself in their shoes, then you can say, okay, what can I do to meet that need? And so it it makes a huge difference. Yeah, it's it's classic looking at the problem and not coming up with an idea first and
0: then trying yeah. to find a market for it. I think it's really smart. I want to shift gears a little bit and um, talk about entrepreneurs. Um, it's a very popular term. It's kind of buzzy and it's popular to be an entrepreneur right now even though not everyone's got the chops for it. Um, do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? I do. And so do you think entrepreneurs are born or is it something that we can learn?
1: Well, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in the legal profession and uh, you can say a lawyer's a lawyer's a lawyer. That's not true. There's a difference between a defense lawyer and a plaintiff's lawyer, for example. Defense lawyers get paid by the hour, they get so they get regular money coming in. A plaintiff's lawyer might go a year or two and not make a dime, and then get a big paycheck. And that's not for everybody. Right. I mean, that's a riverboat gambler. you got to be prepared to make sacrifices and have delayed gratification and get a whole lot later instead of a little bit along the way. And I'm not saying one's better than the other, but there's a different temperament. There's a different mentality.
0: And what is that mentality? And,
1: well, the mentality is, you know, first is do you have the wherewithal to do it? Are you willing to make the sacrifices? to forego immediate gratification for delayed gratification? And do you have the wherewithal to do that? Because you got to keep the wolf from the door yeah. while you're delaying that gratification. I mean, it sounds like high moral ground, but you got to have the wherewithal to do that. Because you're betting your rent money, you still got to pay the rent. Well, yeah, and if, then if
0: you're married and you've got to answer what to I mean. friends and family who are yeah. saying, you know,
1: hey. you, you still tis- got to buy school shoes. And you, so it's that's what I mean. It's not for everybody. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm not someone that makes really aggressive investments on anything other than our own businesses. I'm not going to go take a flyer on a wildcat drilling program where you throw a rock in a field and spend a million dollars doing a deep well. But I will spend that million dollars investing on something where I know. If it's elbow grease and thinking and commitment that I control, then then I am willing to do that. I am willing to forego a year, two, three, four, five before something comes to fruition as long as I'm the one that I'm I'm betting on. And so do you think you
0: were born inherently with those traits, that DNA?
1: (laughs) No, I think it's a matter of being brought up poor. Okay. Um, You know, when you're poor, you you have a different mindset because I can always tell if somebody's been sort of poor or they've been really poor. Poor people say if you don't work you don't eat. If you've really been poor, I can tell somebody's really been really poor. They'll say if you don't work and get paid today, you don't eat today. And I've been poor where I need to work today and get paid today. Or I don't eat today, right. and I think when you're in that situation, you're very results-oriented, yeah. and when you're very results-oriented, then intentions don't matter as much as outcome. Right. And, and when you have- you're results-oriented, it's like—I mean, it's like in sports. I grew up in sports as well. What they care is not what you intended to do; they care how fast you run. How high you can jump, whether you can catch a ball and hang on to it. They don't care if you intended to. They they they, they want to talk to the people who did. Well, and it's what have you done for me lately, too. You exactly. You can't bank all that stuff. Yeah, you cannot bank it. It's what can you do for me today. Yeah. And so, you know, I kind of grew up in did I work to I, wor- I ate yesterday because I worked yesterday, but am I going to get up? I can remember I had a paper route when I was real young in Oklahoma City and it was just sleeting and wind was howling and it was just horrible outside. not fit for man or beast. And I was getting dressed to go out and my mother said, you're not going out, where are you going? I said, I'm going to collect for the paper. Because back then, you'd go knock, I knock, remember, knock. I remember, yeah. You know, I need uh, 315 for the paper. Yeah. So you're not going out, I said, yes I am. I said, why are you going out this weather? Because tonight, everybody's home. This, was a, this is a great night to collect because everybody would be home. Nobody would be away from home. This was the perfect night to collect. That's what you do. You, yeah. you find those opportunities where you have a target-rich environment and you seize that moment. I learned that when I was in the seventh grade. Yeah, that's called hustle. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. right. You so, learned that early on. Uh, so is it easier now that you've had
0: some success uh, or do you think it was easier back then when you had a shorter distance to fall to start something new?
1: You know, I think the stakes are just bigger, but the fall is still a long way. I mean, back then, you didn't get paid that day, the consequences were pretty big, you know. You were very, very hungry. Today, uh, you know, something misses, the consequences are really high. I mean, the pain is the same. And, you know, I, I don't... I have to tell you, day to day, I don't feel a lot different now than I did back then. Yeah, I was I curious
0: about that.
1: Like You know, to me, as long as I got a good pair of tennis shoes, the strings in my tennis racket are, are good and tight. I got some balls I can bounce around and uh, a car that runs pretty good. I'm pretty happy. You know, I don't have 10 homes around the world. I don't have a yacht floating in the harbor. I just, you know, I kind of, I have a nice home and I, I, I live a comfortable life. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I can do poor, so I don't fear it. So do you think that's what you'd kind of credit to your success, is staying grounded
0: and focused on the right things?
1: I think so, and I think think the same thing is true with, we have two boys, and I think we've really taught them a a really good work ethic, and I think they're both hard workers and both very successful.
0: What what kind of advice do you give your kids about, you know, whether or not to go into this business or just work in general? And maybe as you're (coughs) thinking about that answer, think about this broader audience, too, as maybe imparting some words of wisdom.
1: You know, somebody was interviewing my oldest son, Jay, not long ago, and they said, what's the best piece of advice your dad ever gave you? And um, I really liked his answer because he said, you know, it's not one piece of advice. What he taught me was you work the problem, whatever it is. You work the problem. You you, You just grab a hold of it and you just work the problem. And if it's damage control, you control the damage. If it sees the moment, you see the moment. you work the problem. You just get in there and you work and find solutions. And he said, that's what I've seen him do and that's what I've learned the most. And I, I think that's the thing. Look, you just can't mail it in and expect to be successful. You've got to get in there and roll your sleeves up and be involved at every level. And if you do that and you know what somebody does, I don't see everything that go- goes on on the Dr. Phil show, and I, I've told my staff many times, I'm not here in the middle of the night when you're editing these tapes, but because I don't see that, don't think I am not aware that you're down there at 3 a.m. editing those tapes, because when they roll into those monitors during the show, I don't think they got there by pixie dust. I know somebody's working really hard on those things. You have to understand all the pieces of the puzzle that go into it, and I think I'm pretty good at that. So talking about puzzle pieces, we have talked about family a little bit. Uh, you have an anniversary coming up this year, right? Is this your 40th? It'll be my 40th anniversary. That's amazing. Yeah, that's, um, that's a big one, huh? That is a big one. I need to start thinking about that. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> this yeah. takes some planning at 40. You don't want to mess that one up. I'll send you a text or something. Uh, we'll get please closer. do.
0: Yeah. It's in August, right?
1: Yes, August. Uh,
0: Talk to us about your relationship with your wife and how that dynamic has changed and not changed over time with success or lack of.
1: It does change over time because I'm not married to the same woman I married. She's changed and evolved. She's not married to the same guy. We we both change and evolve. Uh, Well, she's got a successful business, too. Oh, yes, she does. Her business is blowing up. In fact, she just doubled her footage in uh, her office building, she's expanding so fast she had to double uh, what she's doing over there. And um, she is a great mother, great grandmother. um, and We just get along terrifically, and we always have. We give each other space, but yet we um, really value time when we come together. We're both very busy. And we'll be off, and we finally get together at the end of the day. It's like a breath of fresh air, you know. So you know, introvert, extrovert, that kind of thing. So are you guys evenly paired, or is it like opposites attract? She's much more extroverted than I am. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I'm very shy. Okay. Actually, and I'm, we're both homebodies though, which works out great because we like we value our privacy. We we value being at home. We're fortunate in that both of our boys uh, live in town. Um, for the most part, one of them's a touring musician, so he's on the road a lot, very successful with that. So he's gone a lot, but he's been in studio working on an album lately, so it's great to have him here. But it's nice to have both boys in the same town where we can see them. Uh,
0: let's talk about the F word, fear. Um, I think it's something that gets a lot of people stuck. Um, can you share with us maybe some advice, places in your time or your career where you've been stuck or maybe you've felt like you've failed another F word, um... And I ask that, you know, because hindsight is 20, 20 most of the time, right? Like, we learn from our mistakes. And I know a lot of people who watch this are maybe hedging. You know, they don't want to take that risk. They're not comfortable with being uncomfortable yet. And so it's a constant state of, you know, thinking about it instead of taking action.
1: You know, I think it depends on how you measure your self-worth. And I think that's really the key to the whole thing. Um, if you're the, a person that is going to give your power away to the point that how you feel about yourself is a function of how a deal turns out or how well a book sells or your bicycle shop does or your, your business, whatever it is, uh, turns out, you're, you are going to live in fear because you don't always control that. No matter how good your idea is, no matter how hard you work, sometimes it's just a matter of timing, sometimes it's a matter of luck. Frankly, I mean, nobody wants to hear that, but sometimes it's a matter of being in the right place at the right time. If if you're really solid in knowing who you are and you don't determine that by external factors, then you can afford to take some risk. And I'm one of those people that I get my paper graded every day. National ratings, 7 o'clock every morning, they're published. So everybody in the world can see, how'd he do? um and uh, it's great being number one if you're going to be a number that's a great place to be um, but you know somebody's grading your paper every day and if you and if you're not up for that then you need to really question what you're doing um, it, that's why most people have a job instead of create jobs because and I'm in a personality-driven business. So when something goes wrong, it isn't the Acme company earnings are down for the quarter. It's Dr. Phil, you know, the headline. It doesn't matter. You know, somebody can trip and fall in the studio. It isn't somebody fell at Paramount. It's Dr. Phil guest falls. I mean, they always lead with that. And so If you're not thick-skinned, then you are going to live in fear. And you don't want to be callous and not care, but at the same time, you've got to decide up front It comes with the territory, and you've got to decide that up front. If you're a person that has the need to be loved by strangers, you're you're in for a rough ride because it's never a success only journey.